This is Guitar Talk. To me, it just seems like there are endless possibilities. One of the things I like to find out, you know, how people got influenced in the play and the guitar, because stories are so unique. The trick is not to feel pressure to conform. If you know anything about Joel, he's been around the block. He's probably one of the most sought-after guitar players. How would you create that song? How would you turn that song into your song? There's not a guitar player on this planet that I personally don't follow closer. It's it's not something that you see too often. I only know a few players that do it. Now, from the home of the blues, Chicago, Illinois, welcome to Guitar Talk with your host, Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody, Jimmy Warren here. Thank you so much for coming back around again for another episode of Guitar Talk. I tell you what, we have a great, great show in store for you. But before we get into the show, um, you know, I, I want to make it known that I just became an ambassador to uh, a nonprofit organization called Guitars for Vets. Now, if you're not familiar with it, it's guitar, the number four, vets.org. And it is an organization that helps veterans with PTSD through the gift of music. What they do is they help uh, uh, people suffering from PTSD uh, to get a guitar and to get lessons uh, so that they can have music therapy. Um, Most of the veterans that participate are people that, you know, are really interested in love playing the guitar. And uh, and it has just been a huge benefit to a lot of veterans. I mean, really hundreds, if not thousands of veterans over the years that this organization has been around. Uh, some of the other ambassadors include uh, Scott Ian from Anthrax, Sully Erna from Godsmack, Tommy Emanuel, just a lot of great people support this organization, and I've been working with them kind of behind the scenes for a little while, uh, helping to bring some ambassadors, you know, to them, uh, some artists to them, and then just recently made the decision to to jump in and help out. So, uh, so that everybody knows that all of my shows, um, not on Guitar Talk, but my performance shows when I go out and do gigs. Uh, going forward, uh, I'm going to give away uh, four tickets to each show to veterans in that community. So if you're a veteran and you're in that community and you know I'm doing a show there, you know what, hit me up at info at warmblues.com and uh, see what I can do to get you a, a ticket, you know, to get into the show because I want to support um, the veterans around the country in that. So uh, a lot of great stuff going on with that organization. I just want to encourage you to go there, guitarsforvets.org, help them out, pitch in, you know, uh, give them a little bit of money, man, you know, uh, help them do their do their thing, and that would be really cool. And so, uh, so yeah, there you go. Next, you know, I've got a big show coming up in St. Louis at the K, uh, Casa Loma Ballroom. It's on Iowa Avenue in St. Louis. It's June 26th. It's going to be a great show. And I've never partnered on a show with a tribute band, but I came across this band out of Boston, and the name of the band is The Breakers. I'm a huge Tom Petty fan, and I was blown away when I heard this band uh, the first time because, man, I closed my eyes when I was listening to him. And I'm going to tell you, 
I thought it was Tom Petty. It was that close. So uh, you know what? If you're in the St. Louis region, you know, come on out June 26th to the Casa Loma Ballroom uh, there in St. Louis for me and the Breakers. Um, so it's going to be a great, great show. Last but not least, make sure you're going to Guitar Talk Official and uh, signing up for our newsletter. I tell you what, man, so much, so much going on. As a matter of fact, we've done something new. Starting June, it's actually June 12th, once a month, I'm going to do a Zoom online interactive uh, event. Um, the first event that we're doing is with guitarist Harry Mura. He was the guitarist on the first three Halo video games. That's right. He played guitar on the soundtrack to the first three Halo games. Now, this guy's toured all over the world with a lot of play, a lot of people. He's played with Jeff Healy and Dickie Betts, and you know he's stood on stage at the Montreal Jazz Festival and the Madrid Jazz Festival. He is an amazing player. And uh, so he's going to be the first one now. It's only open to eight people. So you can go to guitartalkofficial.com. You'll see the order form or the sign-up form right there on the on the page. Just sign up and your name gets uh, put into the list. If you're one of the first eight people to do that, well, guess what? You're going to get to participate in that event. And it's going to be really, really cool. And uh, we're going to do that once a month. I'm going to do it once a month. And each month, I'm going to have a different guest. So I'm going to bring on uh, a great a great player, somebody that you know or somebody that you should know, maybe a guitar tech, maybe a builder. Who knows? Depends on what the topic is. Now, for this first event, which is going to take place on uh, June 14th, Monday, June 14th at 7 p.m. on Zoom Central Time, uh, the topic that we're going to talk about is uh, building and crafting solos. So it's going to be really, really cool. If uh, if you need information, you know, if it's something you struggle with, something you want to learn more about, I'll tell you what, there is nobody better to sit down with than Harry. So you can join me and Harry Mira uh, June 14th for this interactive thing. Just go to guitartalkofficial.com and you'll see all the information. Now that I've squeezed all that in. Uh, today's guest, man, I tell you what, uh, when it comes to the world of blues, this guy is one of my absolute favorites. Uh, he is a, a truly gifted player. He's from the UK. I'm talking about Matt Schofield. That's right. Matt Schofield is with us today uh, from his home in Florida and uh, we're talking all things Schofield here. I'm a huge fan. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, it's his, uh, I want to say, jazzy approach. You know, he is outside of the box, outside of the blues box. You know, he's not a traditional blues player, and he's got a sphere of influence in a song that is just really, really cool. And so uh, this is a great conversation. So do me a favor. Sit back, put your feet up. Make sure you got a cool beverage, and here we go. This is Matt Schofield with me, Jimmy Warren, on Guitar Talk. There he is. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? All right, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. I know you're, you're a guy that's hard to pin down. What's that? You're a guy that's hard to pin down. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Well, some sometimes uh, I don't know what's going on at all these days with with anything. You know, it's like uh, weeks of nothing and then weeks of madness. You know, so. <laughs> it's the way it works, man. Are you in the studio recording a new album or anything? Uh, well, uh, we're talking about doing something soon. I was I was just in uh, L.A. with Josh Smith, you know, and we just recorded five tracks together. And uh, I have another album in the in the can apart from it's not mixed but that one i'm thinking i'm hanging on to until we know when we can tour again because it's for, for for a very specific band you know the, the the whole point of it is to get some promo going for tours with that band you know so uh so yeah i'm just just kind of uh different bits and pieces going on at the moment you know so. yeah yeah so and- it's just hard to schedule anything uh you know like tour wise or album release wise to the only, the only reason for me to release a record really these days other than people wanting new stuff is to get the tour going for a couple of years, you know, with all the, that's, that's really the, the, uh, the payoff, you know, so, and until we know when that'll be, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I know a lot of guys are, are, are you know, in the studio and doing different things. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, you haven't given up. You know, right? Yeah. Some guys have, you know, just thrown in the towel. It seems like in that. Do you do you find yourself spending a lot of time writing music now, or do you spend a lot more time, you know, with the guitar working on your sound? And or uh, you know, I've been uh, not really writing. Um, I've been learning to record at home. I built. I, I just started building a home studio. Um, like this time last year before all this hit, you know, and I'd never done that before. So I was quite fortunate that I even have this set up now to talk to you and everybody else, you know. But um, so I actually spent a lot of time learning, you know, the ins and outs of engineering and uh, working on some mix stuff and tra- tracking myself at home. It's just something I'd never done before, never really needed to, you know. Yeah. It was always be on the road and then go into the uh, professional studio and when we record, you know. So that's been really fortunate to have that. So I've been learning that. The writing, I don't exist in a in a in a vacuum, you know. Like I need to be with my band and things start a sound check and stuff like that. So we did write a tune with, with Josh. We sat down and wrote one together, you know. Um, so that was cool. But you get these bursts. It's it, I'm a I'm a make music with other people kind of guy so the the difficulty of doing that at the moment is uh kind of frustrating for me you know so yeah. i've always played with other people you know yeah so so you know i, I i'm kind of that way myself when i'm when i'm by myself i i don't know it's it's harder to to be um i don't know inspired to want to play or yeah, I mean, I play every day. All my guitars are here, but it's more just like because I like to play, you know. But right. and, um, and it's that interactions feeding off of one another. That my entire—I said this a lot of times—my entire musical life and journey since the age of thirteen is playing with other people in a band. I mean, that's how I learned. Within six months of deciding I was going to play guitar, I had a band. And it's always been get in the room with the guys and play, you know? So we've made records, like all my records are mostly all of us in the same room. Every, you know, it's like, that's just the um, the whole thing for me. So yeah, there's been a weird time for that, for that, for sure now, coming up on a year next month since I did any tour dates of my own, you know, February were the last ones. So. 
Right. Now, now, are you already booking uh, for for this year? Are you guys looking at possibly, you know, like maybe in the fall or the winter or the summer? Uh, not, not yet, because honestly, we've rescheduled things so many times now that we're just it, it, people. Yeah. I was just on with my a European, well, my German agent, and we have dates in April that were rebooked from a that were April last year, and they got moved a year. And now we're looking at, like, there's no way I'm flying to Europe and back a couple of times in April and May. It's just not going to happen. They're all locked down still. Um, you know, so it's pretty much at this point we're just holding on until it, we have some sense. I think this year is going to be pretty much the same as last year for the most part. Because um, everybody's busting their ass to reschedule tours and, and then... Uh, move, having to move them again so you're just doing work for nothing so when we kind of know I mean I just said to the agent probably the easiest thing just move them till 2022 move them another year right. and I'd be delighted to find out that we can start gigging again this fall but at least we haven't wasted our time and now having to move them again you know what I mean it's like right. we'd be booking stuff for 22 anyway so we may as well just go from there so that's kind of how we're looking yeah Right, because it doesn't really matter. Because one thing's for sure is that you, you're going to get a gig, right? Yeah, yeah you're not going to be without gigs because once it opens up, you know, people are going to want want you to come, you know, and want you yeah. to do that. So there's not going to be no lack of that. So that's cool. So do you spend time uh, uh, working on your your sound at all during this time? Because look, at you got a great sound. Thanks, man. You, you do, man. Your sound is 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 perfect. It's absolutely perfect for the the style of music you do. But do you find yourself, you know, monkeying around with your pedals and your your amps and probably, or do you think I'm there? Um, I mean, I sort of sound the same through everything anyway at this point. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's it things I prefer, but it I dial anything in to kind of sound how I want things to sound. So it doesn't sound that different. But I am, will say I've been messing around a bit more with that stuff than I normally would. Normally, I'm very much functional. If it works and I like it, then then it's fine, you know, and I don't tweak. I'm not a fiddler, but I have probably changed more pickups and, you know, pulled out more pedals um, to mess around with during this this time than I normally would. Yeah, normally I'm I'm not really a gear tweaker, you know. Um, it, it's more functionality. If it doesn't blow up, then it's good for me, you know. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm driving around in vans half the year usually, you know. So, um, but yeah, so I have been definitely fiddling with that a little bit and different pickups and different guitars. And, uh, and uh, you know, I've got a shelf full of, pedals here that are all different drive pedals that I've amassed over the year so I've been you know messing around I've got my my pedal board is pretty compact normally you know so there's not much to it these days it's just my supreme overdrive and my uh, little slapback delay also my professor a little bit of tremolo and that's it you know and into the amp so yeah. uh, three things um but I've you know like they're all, I've got them all sitting around. That's been <laughs> right, right. Dreamers and things. Yeah, so it it has brought some more of that out, you know. Yeah. Sure. Now, you do you use the uh, you got your own you know free the tone you know uh, pedal. Do you use that? Is that your boost pedal? Um, actually, I've I've retired the free the tone now. So I'm using a, a pedal we designed with Mad Professor from Finland called the Supreme, okay. um, which is two two channel. Um, 
drive pedal. Um, so I, I, it's kind of like goes clean boost and then a fatter sound in drive for the bridge pickup. And that's it. And I can switch back and forth. I don't stack. I don't like stacking pedals much, you know. So um, Yeah. Is there a reason why you don't like to stack them? too much compression you know so um my old friend simon law who makes my svl guitars and i've worked with for 30 years he also does live sound for me often in europe and he pointed out a while back when i was in probably about 10 years ago i was using the sov into a clon at the time and he pointed out that actually although it felt good to me to stand on both at the same time it actually made the guitar sound smaller out front you know it did it didn't get bigger when i hit the second pedal because of the compression right. um so that was something we actively sort of sought to uh, avoid and so then i was using the um the gig rig switcher to switch between two levels of drive but not stack uh, and then it ended up uh, a year and a half or two years ago, we probably started it with Mad Professor, getting it down into one pedal that has two levels of drive and I can just go between A, B, between the two sides. You know, you can stack the Supreme as well if you want, but I have, it's got a switch to to um, turn that off uh, or to just go back and forth. So I like that. Um, so yeah, it's more, and then I use the guitar volume a lot. You know, so for for tone as as well as drive. So sometimes the supreme is on. Uh, forgive all those email notifications. I can't That's turn so the thing off. But it's um, yeah, it's um, uh, I can uh, leave one side of the supreme on and then use the guitar volume a lot. So in some ways, I'm trying to play more like just playing straight into the amp. But when I when I grow up, I'll finally get to that and just be no pedals. You know, <laughs> one day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and there's a lot of people that do that, and and uh, my hats off to them. You know, I I I I I get tired of sound real quick. You know, and yeah. I mean, well, something's not right here. Like maybe if I add this, you know, maybe if I do this, and before you know it, you know, you got nine pedal boards laying around, and you know what I mean. And you're not. I've, I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a never ending battle, and the overdrive pedals are always the ones that you know are are my guilty pleasure i i got so many of them i go through so many of them i yeah, love that yeah. and uh it's it's crazy now you you've been using free the tone for for a while i know that you have several of their pedals in that now have you ever used the uh, flight delay by them uh yeah i did have uh i think both versions of those yeah again it's more tweaky than i go for myself and, and it, it, increasingly I'm just streamlining everything down to to not very much so it's incredible sound I also have the reverb which has been really useful on tour and stuff that, that has a cool plate sound in it um but my, my I just used the Mad Professor Delay, which is like three knobs, and it's it's not analog, but it's just like a three knob analog delay thing, and that that just stays on. Um, and then if I there's like one or two songs that I would do in a live set that have a longer delay, so I just literally reach down and turn the knob up, turn the delay time up, to, so I kind of roughly know the tempo from where the knob is turned to, and uh, and so that's my. Uh, my high tech delay, <laughs> right? So, so I, I'm guessing that you're not using the gig rig 
at, at this present time? Not now, no, no. In fact, I was sat here the other day looking at all these different drive pedals, um, which I've been pulling out for recording and thinking, I, you know, I might build like a stupid drive pedal board so I have them all ready to go and with the gig rig switcher that I've got, you know, I've got it sat over there so that I can just pick from anything, you know, because I like, that's the the the... The King Tone Duelist I've had sat there that I've been really enjoying, and also the Ibanez Vemurum Tube Screamer that they put out, the really pricey one, but it's great sounding Tube Screamer. And uh, you know, I like the Vemurum Jan Ray, I like my SOVs, I like my various incarnations of SOVs actually, with all the ones we did over the years, slightly different. And uh, some of the other Mad Professor ones, the Twimble thing, I like the boost in that a lot, you know, uh, so kind of like. Um, line them all up, you know, onto a board that I would never take to a gig, but I can have it sat here and just pick whichever one I, I'm ready to want to go with, you know? So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's really cool. Now, you've been using uh, two rock amps for, for quite a while. Yeah, over 15 years now. I think I got my first one in 2005, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, then got to know the guys... Um, uh, 2010, with my first U.S. tour, I went to. I finally got to to meet them, you know, and we started really working together. Then uh, Max Skinner, who's there still now, um, one of the partners in the company now, who's working with them back then, and he brought an amp down to uh, my first show in San Francisco and said, "Hey, man, check, take it with you on the tour, you know, check it out, see what you think." And so that's been. We've been. Uh, tight like that ever since you know and um they've been through some different um incarnations you know uh, different ownerships but they're in such a great spot now that um a very good friend of mine eli lester is now uh owns the uh, owns the company and uh but i was friends with eli before we ever thought he'd have two rock you know so now it's really cool that one that a couple of my best friends own the company but i've been with them long since before that you know so um yeah. And so what is it about the two rock that, you know, entices you? Uh, you know, it, I, when I first grabbed one, uh, I was a long time blackface super reverb guy. That's my, that was my amp, you know? And, uh, then I was on tour in, in Holland and we went to Har Guitars. Um, he, and he had was one of the few guys in 2005 that had two rocks in Europe. And I was like, okay, this is cool. This is like my blackface Fender, but just a bit more stout in the low mids and, and you know, like more more usable bottom end. than you know, when you turn an old Fender up, the bass up, it sort of goes, falls apart a lot, really. Right. So it didn't do that. Um, so, I, and I just wanted something... At the time, there wasn't a 1964 Super Reverb getting thrown in and out of a van in in a flight case. You know, I wanted something that was a new product. Um, so I really liked that. And of course, you know, knowing that they were kind of inspired by the Dumble type stuff, many of my heroes and favorite tones had been played through Dumble type amps, you know. Uh so there was a fascination there, and then you know it just it just went from there. Um, and funnily enough, the, the, with it, since Eli came back in, and the, the current stuff is just phenomenal. Uh, it's pushed further back again towards the kind of blackface sound, but just in a completely uh, well. When I first got, I used to, you know, I've loved all my turret models. We did the signature model in 2012, and it was that was great. 
but I'd always get home from a, a, a road trip uh, and go do a local thing and take out an old Super Reverb. You know, I have a 64 in the UK still and a 66 here in the US. And I'd always be like, you know, it's still magic, that old Fender. Yeah. Um, and then when Eli and Max sent me the newest, the, the classic Reverb Signature, which is like their flagship. So that was like 2017, I think, when Eli got things going over there. Um, they sent me that and I went out to a local gig with my Super Reverb and I just missed the classic Reverb. So it's like he finally nailed it to, to, yeah. to the point where I don't even bother taking the Super. Or I don't miss the Super, you know? So, um, so that's the best I can say. Really, is that they he, he they were always great, but since Eli and Mac took over, they have surpassed my favorite vintage Fenders. So, well, I know they make great amps. I actually have uh, the classic reverb myself. Oh yeah, it's it's a great app, and I know there for a while, at least, at least for a moment. I don't know if you you jump ship. I don't think you did, but uh, Chad. Uh, yeah. Magrum used to work for him, and you played one of his amps for. I I did. I've still got it there. Actually, I was offering it up in case anybody wanted it um, because it's not getting used, and it's a great amplifier. Yeah, it wasn't a case of jumping ship. It was actually, um, the, basically, the parent company at the time, Premier Builders Guild, that owned Two Rock, um, were folding. You know, so the future of Two Rock was uncertain at that point, and uh, and yeah, Chad had been making his his uh, or made a move to, to work on his um, on his own stuff um, uh, and so there was a little gap there in the existence of, of Two Rock until Eli came back in you know so uh, um, yeah that's, that's that was my tour in 2016 I think the, the sine wave um, and uh, very much like uh, the first generation classic reverb you know um, yeah. but I have to say that uh, since I got the classic reverb signature I've, I've not really even looked at or thought about needing another amp you know and and i have one of the sterlings here that um that i got from from the guys um which is it, it's like having a old muscle car you know that's just fun to take out but it's not a daily driver like the classic reverb you know for me the classic reverb is the daily driver but the sterling is an experience that's how i describe playing that amp it's the 150 watt you know i mean it'll make you a better player yeah you know, the first time they sent one out for me to try out one of the last prototypes that, that had been going around and Eric Johnson had had it and then I got to play through it which was kind of cool um, for a tour but the first night of the gig I was like man what have I done I've got this monster to fight because it just does not give you it, it's just clean and will not budge and you just can't play anything stupid through it. But it, by the end of the week, I was like, okay, I get this now. You just have to really play the notes. <laughs> it's, there's yeah. no way to hide on a Sterling. So. But it's an experience. It's good. Yeah. But your, your tone is, is exceptional. I mean, it really is. And I think a part of that, of, of course, is always in, in your hands as a player and that. But that foundational aspect of the, the guitar and the pickups that you're using with the two rock amp, I mean, just that within itself. Before you start adding in all the other layers of of drive or delay or anything like that, just sure. that foundation is 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 perfect. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah, I think with tone, you know, 
obviously we live in a quite a gear focused world these days and and i like nice stuff i have nice stuff i have nice guitars and nice amps but i'm not being uh funny when i say i pretty much sound the same through through anything at a certain point the, the i think tone is more your first of all your idea of what you want your tone to be so i can reach in and find it in almost almost any functioning gear i'll sound more the same than different do you know what i mean because it's what i know how to arrange what i've got including my playing you know to to get it to sound like uh sound like me you know so uh, there's this but i prefer having you know it coming out of a nice two rock to me you know it's like it's like a race i always use the racing car analogy with with tone uh it that um, obviously a, a racing car driver needs wants to have the best car, you know, to 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 uh, be able to win the race. Um, at, but he'd still drive, or he or she would still drive the car better than me in in any car, you know. It's, so it's it's sort of a, that combination of man and machine. And if I was got untrained into a racing car uh, and put my fall the way down, I'd crash on the first corner because I wouldn't be able to control it, which is very much what the Sterling feels like when you first place you're on uh, extreme volume. Um, so, you know, it is that kind of the, the, the driver and the vehicle um, are both important, yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I can say about your, your sound is that um, when, when I hear your guitar, I know it's you. you yeah. Know, just like when I hear Robin Ford, I know it's Robin Ford, yeah. you know, and so many other people like that. But in, in a world where there's so much blues and so much blues rock, you know, floating around in that, you, you stand out because you know your sound and your sound's consistent. You know, that was really always the thing for me to, to from from the moment I realized that this is what I wanted to do, you know, it was really pivotal. I'm like 12 years old, just about to turn 13, seeing a video of B.B. Of King, Albert Collins and Stevie Ray Vaughan playing. You can go on YouTube now. I've talked about this many times to people. It's the Texas Flood from the New Orleans Jazz Festival in 1988, and the three of them were playing it together. And one of the first things that struck me was was um, how they all sounded so completely different and yet so completely awesome. And then I realized, well, or I came to realize, uh, they're not even tuned to the same tuning. The three of them all have completely different. BB's in standard, Stevie's in E flat, Albert Collins is in F minor. Yeah. So you couldn't get three more distinctive ways on one stage of playing the same music, you know. And that really dawned on me is like, that's it. Because, you know, you can carry that. Yeah, Albert King, Freddie King, Muddy, Otis Rush, you know, Buddy Guy, all instantly recognizable sounds and touches and their own vocabulary. So I really wanted to have that. And I, of course, I love, that was, that was what the whole reason to do this was, was to have something to say, you know, um, like they do. Uh, so that's... Then it was always became strange to me that as blues went on after the 80s and into the 90s, that everybody started to say that, oh, playing these licks were authentic and then these ones weren't, you know, and the blues police thing kind of happened. And I was like, wait, but now you're suggesting that everybody sound the same or sound like they used to. But that's not what happened at all with Muddy Waters when he put a, a band together. I mean, there was no... 
there really wasn't like a small combo band until guys like Muddy, you know, that one thing with bass drums, couple of guitars, maybe keys and a vocalist, you know, it was big bands and then there was guys playing acoustic blues, but um, it, they, that was pioneering uh, incredibly visionary stuff, you know, that, that built the backbone of of everything we still play and, and the kind of lineup we have in a band to this day is because of those guys creating rock and roll, really. So it, I, don't, I didn't really then understand why you were supposed to sound like everybody else. <laughs> you know, that's the way that some right. of the blues scene decided it had to be. You know, you had to wear these clothes and slick your hair a certain way and then sound authentic, whatever the hell that means. Well, to me, authentic is sounding like an individual. That's authentic, you know, right. just as those guys did. So, they, yeah, that's always been the pursuit. And, of course, I love to... I, the part of blues, though, as well, I think is these days is is referencing your heroes, you know. So I tip my hat all the time, you know, it, it, to to my favorites. It's not like I came up with any of this. I'm just standing. I'm just. It's really easy to come up with the vocabulary these days. Whereas when BB King was coming up with it, he invented it. Do you know? <laughs> you know, it was like there was, it wasn't so much for him. It didn't sound like him before or after. Whereas now we just get to go. Oh, I'll take a bit of BB King. I'll take a bit of Albert Collins. I'll take a bit of Stevie Ray. I'll take a bit of Robin Ford and mash it all. That's that's comparatively easy to you know. <laughs> so, right. but the hardest thing is yeah to then sort of assimilate that into and synthesize it into your own uh, sound, you know. So that's a, that's a lifelong thing. But at this point, I can't, I can't really play anything other than what I feel in that moment. I'm a horrible session guitarist for that reason. I'm not good at just being a chameleon or, you know, it's like if you want what I do, then, then that's great. Um, but there's not like a bunch of stuff that... I can play that people don't know about. Do you know what I mean? I just, I sound how I sound at this point and I play how I play. So, When you go into the studio, uh, uh, from what you just said, uh, are you playing everything live? Are you just doing it live? Um, it's, it varies, you know. So like my, my last studio album, for example, let's go and let's think about that there's uh, probably three or four tracks that are just 100% straight live, you know, with the band playing and the solo was the take at the time. The two big, there's a song called Red Dragon, there's a song called Day You Left, which are the two big kind of slow blues features on there. I mean, yeah, there's no way to get that kind of dynamic and interplay between the band without just me soloing and playing live at the time. My amps are bleeding into all the drum mics and vice versa, you know. But it may it, it so yeah, it's totally live. And then uh, with the exception, of the, excuse me, with the exception of the uh, vocals, you know. Yeah. Um, and then other tracks on the record, you know, we build up more. So like the opening track um, from Far Away, um, I I kind of layered up the guitar. So it, it depends on the type of track we're going for. Um, on the new record that's done but not mixed, we actually recorded it a couple of years ago now, and it would have come out last year if uh, we'd have had any gigs to um, tour with it from, as I started out by saying, that the reason it's on hold is it's a very specific band, um, my organ trio with Johnny Henderson and Evan Jenkins, and, and 
you know, really the, the impetus to, to put that album out is so that it'll lead us through a couple of years of touring. Anyway, I'm digressing there. Um, but that was, that's just the three of us playing big room again, lots of things bleeding into, into each other because that gives it that feel. There's really no way to, to do it. But then I'm, at the same time, other stuff I do, man, you know, I'll sit there and do 20 passes on it and, and, uh, I mean, Simon Law, SVL Guitars, he's been there in the studio with me for years. He can tell you how crazy I can get as well when left to my own devices of like <laughs> shouting, give me another one, just hit me again, let me do another pass, let me do another pass. So I can go down that route easily as well. So it's, yeah. it's um, I try and not get too crazy like that. But uh, me and Josh Smith just did it like idiots as well. Um, <laughs> we, we were doing... Uh, We'd cut the basic track, but um, we wanted to like to be able to take our time together and do the solos. It's a tra we're trading on this kind of, on this blues thing, and uh, so we're trading live. We've the band are, so we've already cut the basic track, so we're overdubbing the guitars, but we're playing together at the same time live for the overdub and trading back and forth. You know, but we just pro we probably did like. 15 20 goes at it just sort of back and forth and being ridiculous and going for it but but having to sort of agree that we both do it a whole take you know so we're not going back and like dropping something in then do you know what i mean like so we were right. just kind of like just keep doing it until we till we're both happy with this yeah. <laughs> it was fun but uh, yeah it's, i've never done that like live overdubbing with another guitarist so that's how we it was somewhere in between complete having to commit completely live but also getting to choose to do it again you know if you want right. to so you don't write your parts you just you just improv them there is that oh god no i can't even play something the same I, and i'm not exaggerating i mean i just i am an improvising musician so i actually don't really have a good grasp on uh on uh being able to deliver a, a, i i have to i can i can only play what comes out what i hear right then and so it's not even something i'd ever considered in, in fact it only dawned on me recently that people would even think for a minute that maybe i had composed a solo because people ask questions on instagram and somebody was asking about my true fire courses and they said how many takes of a solo do you do for one of the performance examples on true fire and then do you comp the parts together or how many? and i was like takes how many takes? <laughs> it's, everything's a take that I played. You know, it's like there's no. I don't go to the True Fire studio and get to go. Oh, give me another pass of that one, man. You, they film you and you play a solo and then you talk about it. You know, and it's uh, so. And we're not comping. That's or putting stuff together or composing these solos. It's like, but it hadn't really dawned on me that people don't even realize that anymore. When you see the world of like Instagram. And I'm like, oh, yeah, people are probably doing like 50 passes of one minute to put up their perfect guitar video, you know? And it, it would literally never occur to me that that's how people do it because I would just, I just play. <laughs> so. Well, you know, from, from the outside looking in, especially at True Fire, uh, 
when, when you see somebody like yourself play that solo and talk about that, you would think, okay, this is something that's been planned out. He's just not just showing up and just playing a solo. And then all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to chat about this solo. You would, you would never really think that in that setting because you would think it was well planned out. I, I can't, as I say, I'm not being funny about it. I literally cannot play something planned out because I would, I just don't, have, my brain doesn't work like that, you know? That's why, I, I'm not kidding, I'm a horrible session guitarist, you know? It would take, the, the, you know, the hardest thing I've done in the last few years, and I sort of regretted even saying yes to it, was I got invited to take part in an in a Allman Brothers uh, event type thing down here in Florida, the Funky Biscuit, last New Year's Eve with Scott Sherrard, who was Greg Allman's guitar player, and, and, um, a couple of the um, uh, Mark, the percussionist, was playing drums. The original Allman Brothers, and um, uh, some other, all the alumni of that world, you know. And it was three nights at the Funky Biscuit, and we played the first three Allman Brothers albums, one each night in their entirety. Now, I'm not like a huge Allman Brothers follower in any particular way not you know but i enjoyed the, them but i didn't i'd never learned any of these songs before so i had to learn three full allman brothers albums and learn all those double guitar plus to parts to play them with scott you know i that just killed me because i didn't i could not remember ever having to learn anything like that you know it, i do it for 15 years and i've been playing my own original music so i play whatever the hell i want on that you know what i mean <laughs> so i it, i it's taxed my musical brain so hard to have to learn something like exactly note for note i just i haven't done that i didn't even really do it when i started out playing 30 years ago i would like play along with the record and kind of jam back and forth with the record rather than learning something note for note. Yeah, it kicked my ass, man, to learn all that stuff. It was one of the hardest things. But I realized that part of my musical brain's probably atrophied a bit after all these years. So everything you hear me play is is completely improvised it, 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 within my vocabulary, obviously, because what is improvisation? It's It's... Right. But it's not licks, you know, it's a vocabulary. Uh, so that I don't have feel like I have stock licks or anything like that. I have, I have things that I do, that are, are ways to navigate certain changes that I'd find myself playing over, but it's not licks and it's, it's not figured out. It's just, it's like this now, you know. So to, to me, the idea of uh, working out a solo would be if we'd planned out exactly what we're going to talk about now. Do you know, that, that would feel the same in my brain as having, it, and that's acting. Right. It, it, you know, it would be re reciting a part, and I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in right. genuine communication. <laughs> you know, I, I laugh because I'm the exact same way. Right. I am. I'm the exact same way. I remember starting out, and I would put on, you know, music of Stevie Ray Vaughan and other people mm -hmm. like that, and I would never try to play what they're playing. I would just try to play along with it. And I, I told myself, and somebody had told me this, they said, because they told me not to do that. They said, don't learn what they're doing. Just, you know, just try to be yourself in that. Yeah, right. At some point in time, you know, you you have your own way of doing things and your own sound and so forth like that. Yeah. So hats off. I hate the studio. 
I don't know about you, but I absolutely, I think it, I can't stand it because I'm that guy that wants to take a 400 passes because I think. Yeah. Oh I'm all, I sort of alternately love, hate it, you know, and it really yeah. is dependent on the environment and, and, uh, who I'm who I'm playing with and how I'm feeling about the room and uh, all so many factors that that I don't have to deal with a, a, a gig you know so yeah and that's in some ways I've I've been down the rabbit hole in the studio and then this this trio record that we made was entirely devised to not be able to go down that rabbit hole it was like we're just gonna uh it's just going to be really honest record, you know. So uh, to almost deliberately cut myself off from being able to do that, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, so I have to like set boundaries like that. Otherwise, I'd be, you know, you go into those Eric Johnson territories of of uh, perfectionism and stuff like that. I could, I just don't have the budget to do that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I have to go. Okay, we make it cheap and cheerful. This record. <laughs> It'd just be one four five. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so what's uh, wow? So there's really there's no no plan to release anything soon. There's well, no- that's 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 not there's no plan to release this particular record I'm talking about soon until I know I can tour with that band. You know, um, so but I there, I am going to release some stuff. I mean, the stuff we did with Josh, we're talking about putting out. We've got to finish the original song still. Uh, but there'll be like five tracks that we might stagger a release. You know, we did we picked some kind of odd covers that people wouldn't expect from us and, and wrote this tune. We only had a couple of days together, you know. Yeah. Um, but that was really fun and inspiring. And you know, when you get into into that environment, things happen. That's what I was saying earlier about missing that just that bouncing it off other people. It's much harder to sit at my desk in front of my little monitors here and and feel like that, you know. But also there's a couple of other projects. I just started the other day just putting together some ideas. I wouldn't even call it writing, but um, f- for almost, almost like a, I might do an instrumental uh, like EP or something, kind of old school sounding with my dear friend and guy who's been touring with me on drums, Raul Valdez. He's been touring the last couple of years with me on drums. He also, he built a home studio during this time because he lost all his gigs, you know, as well as we all did. So uh, he put something together at his house and he did, we recorded the truth of the tracks for my True Fire course, most recent one. Um, at his place and then I sent it to Johnny Henderson in the UK and he put organ on it so it's the first time we've all done it like that you know we're all engineered and recorded by each person at home I'd never we'd never done it and it came out really good so I thought man I was listening to um, a record called Easy Listening Blues by B.B. King you know Um, probably not one of his super well-known records but I love it and it's all instrumental and it's kind of mellow shuffles and little boogaloos and I thought maybe I should just get together with Raul and we'll just make a little like real simple instrumental record that that is inspired by that so there's that one and then also my partner my girlfriend Christine Tambakis is an incredible singer um, if people if they've been to gigs in the last couple of years may have seen her come out and guest with us so we're always talking about getting a record together and so those things you might hit hear and see released before I'm back gigging um, because it doesn't really matter with those. They'd more be just for something to put out new music for people. Um, 
the it's just the unfortunate timing of the of the record that I had just about finished when all this hit it would go to waste to release it now um because yeah it's suppo- that relies on having a promotional campaign put around it that will excite booking agents and promoters worldwide who will want to book that band for the next couple of years off the response, the critical response to that particular album, you know. So our plan for that has been choked currently, you know. So uh, so I'd rather hang on to that till that band can tour and then we'll, we'll, we'll put out um, some other stuff in the meantime. So the stuff with Josh, stuff with Christine, maybe some little... Um, um, instrumental thing, you know. There's so there's things, but it's uh, it's just hard to do anything at the moment as well. Like just getting together with people, and you know, my my band doesn't live down the road from me, so everything's like a, a double undertaking to to get together with people, you know. Yeah, an instrumental album would be awesome. You know, you just got to do something to stay in front of people. Really, mm-hmm. that's all it is. Because yeah, what happens? You, you go a year without being in front of somebody or releasing something. Or, yeah. You know, people tend to, to wander. You know, something else comes in their view, and that's what they pay attention sure. to. Sure. I, I mean, I feel okay at this point that I've kind of – my my fan base is small but mighty in as much as there's people – I, you know they're they're like going to be like lifelong followers, yeah. and I'm very grateful for them. So I'm, I don't have a kind of transient career. As the people that have found me, that liked me, tend to stick around and continue to pay attention to what I'm doing. You know, and I've put out two two fire courses this year. Now we I was so just to be perfectly honest. I've focused on those a lot this year because I can make a living from them to some degree, and that's the only income I have really right now is from True Fire because I'm a touring artist and I've lost all of that. And I don't have, um, I'm here in the US, but I'm not a citizen. I don't get any unemployment insurance or anything like that. And I don't get it from the UK. I'm in a no man's land of that. So literally, um, other than some like gear sales and endorsement stuff that I get little kickbacks on, um, my only income is from True Fire. So it's all very well being an artist and having creative ideas and wanting to make records and oh, I'll put this out and do this and that. But I also have to pay my bills. <laughs> and, you know, people, f- I've lost all my income this in the last year. So uh, my focus has been on TrueFire because there's an immediate, it doesn't cost me anything to do. Like a record, co- it costs me thousands to make a record. It costs me thousands to hire PR people or distribution or even just, press them you know that i need uh, even ten thousand dollars is like the cheapest amount to put out like a record properly release a record internationally do you know what i mean it's like yeah. that's, that would be considered nothing you know yeah. well i don't have ten thousand dollars at the moment <laughs> <laughs> um and record deals are you know there's no advances from record deals anymore you you're lucky if they'll if they foot the cost of putting it out do you know what i mean like and and carry that part of the cost um so true fire i get a check every month you yeah. know so that's something that i think people don't always realize as well but like this is pretty bad time for, for us you know so yeah. so yeah. The, 
survival becomes actually your your career choice. Do you know, that's that's it's serious, man. You know, so I'm going to do whatever I need to to get paid at the moment, and and creativity and freedom of of expression will have to take a back seat to my mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that that's only the responsible thing to do. Yeah. And thank God you got True Fire. Yes, literally. Uh, it's a great thank platform. It's a great platform in that. Yeah. And they've been great. They, they you know, they switched to monthly statements for us instead of quarterly, you know, to help because they realized like most of their uh, artists are in the same boat, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, hey, look, you, I mean, I got my... Uh, I got my last uh, streaming, well, my last royalties from from my streaming as it is these days, and uh, for my quarterly from PRS in the UK was seventy three UK pounds is what I earned for my quarterly royalties. So that's another problem that we have at the moment. I mean, what am I seventy three? That that's one trip to the grocery store, isn't it? You know, right? Yeah. It, it the industry is is uh you know really shafted the the artists for a number of years now and it's just yeah. slowly and i understand that you guys make your money by touring and selling merchandise on the road and the mm-hmm. line goes that's where it's at and if you can't do that well then you know you got to come up with something creative and uh, yeah yeah and like you mentioned earlier i think you know some people are um getting out and bailing on this and going, yeah, I just, this is not, you know, there's musicians all over um, that have got taken side gigs and, are, you know, flipping yeah. burgers and things. It, it, it's, it's serious and it's a problem, you know, and concerning. And uh, uh, But I, I certainly look forward to being on the other side of it and going out and playing for real human beings again because... Uh, you know, you. I realized during this period that that what I do really is bring people together. That that's like my job really is to bring, be it a band or the audience or the crowd. But I, I bring people together for a shared experience between the musicians and the listeners. That's what I do. So uh, it's about the worst time to be in that business <laughs> at the moment, the bringing people together business. Right. Um, so, and I miss it. I miss it. But that's that's the that's the real job, you know, is, is bringing people together. So we'll get back to it. But yeah, well, your fans are going to be there. You know, I know guys like me. You know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna pay attention, and you know, when you come out, we're gonna go see you, and we're gonna buy your your music like we always have. You know? Yeah, you make great music and that. I'm very lucky to to have that kind of um, long term fan base that I've built. You know, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Well, I will tell you what, Matt, I appreciate you giving me a little bit of your uh, time. It was a pleasure chatting with you about what's going on in the world of uh, Matt Schofield because that's a world we all need to be involved in. Yeah, well, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Jimmy. I appreciate it, man. You know. All right, you take care of yourself. Okay. I'll see you out there. Take care, mate. Just stay well. All right, there you go. Matt Schofield. You know, make sure you go to mattschofield.com. Find out where Matt's going to be playing at. You know, he said that he's going to be putting together a new project that's going to come out sometime. He's not exactly sure when, but you know how that goes. Just stay posted, you know, to him. And, uh, you know, if you're a fan, you're following him already. So uh, I want to thank Matt for participating in this episode 
Um, I really appreciate it. Now, next Wednesday, I tell you what, uh, we're going into the month of June, and we're going to focus all month on female players. Yeah, we got women that just kill it, kick it. (laughs) Some badass women, you know, on the guitar. And we're going to kick it all off with one of the best, Samantha Fish. Now, I don't know about you, but I I really dig Samantha's uh, playing and her music, and so uh, you're going to really enjoy this. We've got a great month in store. We've got Samantha. We've got Gretchen Men from the band Zepparella. Uh, we've got Ariel, and uh, she's talking about her partnership with Brian May. I've got Nancy Wilson, who's got a new album out. So uh, there's a lot of great, a lot of great players that are going to be a part of this month. So uh, you want to make sure that you tune in next Wednesday with my guest Samantha Fish. I want to thank everybody for um, you know checking this out and for. Uh, you know, tuning in as much as you do. We really, really appreciate it. Do me a favor, visit guitartalkofficial.com. So much going on there, I'm telling you. And that, hey, one thing I forgot to mention, you know what? I do a show on Mountain City Rock Radio, and it airs every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Sometimes those shows are completely different than uh, this podcast. And they're also different in the sense that I play music on the show as opposed to just having a conversation and that. And uh, the the guy, you know, uh, Michael Dean, who runs that uh, station, uh, started a new store, uh, an, an apparel and merchandise, you know, store for Mountain City Rock and it's rock apparel and that. Uh, there is now going to be, I'm going to put a banner on my website at Guitar Talk Official for this store. He's got a lot of really, really cool stuff. And the cool thing is, is that when you go to the store, there's a link on the store to listen to his station while you're shopping. So uh, you get a good dose of rock and roll while you're shopping at the same time. So you don't want to miss out on that. It's going to be great. So uh, thanks again for tuning in. And I will see you next Wednesday at 3 p.m. with my guest, Samantha Fish, right here on Guitar Talk. You all take care.